From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. It was two years ago this week that the Supreme Court handed down its landmark decision in South Dakota v. Wayfair. This is the ruling that said that states can collect taxes on sales from businesses that have no physical presence in their state. What does that mean? Well, if you live in, say, Virginia, like I do, and you buy face masks made out of t-shirts, like I did, from an online business with no stores or factories or offices in Virginia, then the state of Virginia can still collect sales taxes on that purchase. So far in the two years since the Wayfair ruling, states have been busy updating their laws so that they can collect those taxes. But any initial grace period might be about to end as states look to plug gaping holes in their budgets thanks to the coronavirus pandemic and the economic maelstrom it created. That means states will likely start flexing that newfound taxing authority. Think enforcement, audits, compliance checks. To dissect that post-Wayfair landscape, we spoke to two Bloomberg tax reporters, staff correspondents Mike Bologna in Illinois and Trip Baltz in Colorado. Both of them have been busy covering how states and businesses are responding to this shift in tax policy. Mike started off our conversation recapping what's happened since the Wayfair ruling. There was a a mad dash by the states to enact uh, statutes in the immediate aftermath of uh, of Wayfair. And uh, when you talk to some uh, tax attorneys or folks that have been around this before, they they believe that this is the most active amount of um, legislating on a state tax issue that they've ever seen in their careers. But uh, Ed Tripp may know the numbers better than me, but I think the uh, all but two of the 45 sales tax states have enacted uh, remote sales um, statutes, and then uh, all but four uh, of those 45 states have enacted marketplace facilitator uh, statutes, and those are the laws that permit uh, states to require uh, huge online marketplaces such as Amazon and Etsy uh, to collect on behalf of all of their marketplace sellers. You know, let's fast forward to 2020. What What's happening now? Let, I want to talk about COVID and in particular how the pandemic has hit state revenues. Really, it's been catastrophic. But the timing is also really important, right? Because these laws that Mike just talked about were already on the books before the pandemic and before the shutdowns and before the recession. Trip, how are states using the Wayfair decision in light of all the budget sh- shortfalls right now? Yeah, it's a good question. So they they really are now in position to take advantage of the fact that there's been uh, a pretty big shift of retail sales to uh, e-commerce and online. Uh, And we see that those numbers are up um, since the COVID-19 recession has begun. Um, And although bricks and mortar retail is definitely down, uh, 1.95% of the country was under a stay-at-home order. Uh, So, that shift is really maybe the only bright spot that states are facing. Uh, they depend about 75% on sales tax and income tax for their revenues. So this is very important for them to be able to get every dollar that they can. Uh, and we are, as you said, seeing some pretty big cuts in state budgets, billions of dollars, um, perhaps as, as much as $200 billion across the states 
Uh, and so they're going to be looking for every bright spot they can get. What about compliance? Um, how has compliance been with some of these new laws that are on the books now? I mean, are, are states um, seeing any change in compliance? Are they going after these uh, e-commerce sellers aggressively? What, what, what's the compliance landscape been like? Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, I did an interview with uh, Dan Hassel, who's the uh, Revenue Secretary in Pennsylvania, and we talked about this very issue. And I think his perspectives are uh, consistent probably with other states as well. I think over the last two years, most states have viewed uh, the situation uh, as sort of a grace period. Remote sellers really needed to get comfortable with these new statutes and um, figure out how they operated. And states took a very light touch uh, with regard to audit and uh, and most compliance issues, and um, COVID really uh, enhanced that situation. Uh, mo- most states across the country um, uh, curtailed their auditing activities, or or made uh, or, or stated broadly that they they weren't going to initiate any new audits um, during the course of the pandemic. But Pennsylvania is a, is a case where they they haven't done a ton of compliance relative to these Wayfair uh, statutes. They're encouraging, and I think other states are as well, for taxpayers to come in from the cold, so to speak, under voluntary disclosure agreements. So if you you believe you had a liability going back a few years, you could come forward and uh, uh, get current with that, and there would be a waiver of certain uh, penalties and, and interest in those scenarios. Uh, but the more important part for the states is to just get everyone on board and get them collecting and remitting. And um, it's it's generally believed that the uh, comply that the grace period is 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 slowly waning, and that uh, compliance is going to ramp up, uh, perhaps slowly over the next twelve months, and then faster uh, thereafter. Absolutely. We're hearing from many of our sources um, at Bloomberg Tax that uh, compliance efforts uh, more broadly, uh, maybe a little bit of carrot, a little bit of stick uh, initiatives are going to be increasing in in Wayfair's third year. Uh, So that definitely does mean audits and enforcement. But there's also a potential COVID-19 angle to this as well. Uh, We're hearing from some state tax administrators and heads of departments of revenue that, uh, you know, states are looking at these very broad-based hits. Um, In my own state of Colorado, they are looking at a $3.3 billion budget hole. And when governors and budget uh, writers are directing across-the-board cuts uh, for agencies, they're they're pleading, you don't cut us. Um, You know, you're sort of sawing off your own hand to uh, go after the folks who are conducting these audits uh, and trying to go after and get the revenue that is already due to the states. Uh, So, you know, great concern about that at a time when, you know, to Mike's point, they've settled in with these laws and so now they're, they're needing to flex these new powers that they have. Uh, and so I think there's no question we're going to see more of this and, and possibly even some, some litigation. Uh, we're not exactly sure where that will be coming from. It's, it's, it's interesting that there haven't been any major suits uh, challenging uh, the principles of the Wayfair decision in these past two years. Uh, but there are some that are suggesting that that could start to happen as the enforcement ticks up. I want to ask about the reaction from these, uh, you know, e-commerce sellers. Some of them are, you know, these are big names, Amazon, Etsy, obviously the, the namesake of the lawsuit, Wayfair, Overstock. What, What is, is there a difference in 
how they're responding to these taxes? I mean, are we seeing any differences between the big sellers and smaller remote sellers? I mean, what has the reaction been from businesses that are on the receiving end of these laws? To be fair, many of the bigger companies, so let's let's look at Amazon. They, they were already collecting and remitting taxes on their direct sales. So if you went onto amazon.com as a buyer and you bought an Amazon product directly from them, you paid the tax and they, they remitted it to the state. Um, interestingly, about 60% of Amazon sales, almost 60%, are these third-party sellers. So smaller sellers who are using Amazon's marketplace as a platform to sell their goods. It, it was that group that compliance was sort of all over the map, and there really wasn't a mandate until Wayfair uh, for them to collect taxes on those sales. So uh, I would say, to answer your question, Amanda, many of the marketplace facilitators facilitators were ready to go, uh, but they needed these state laws to kind of, you know, put everybody on a level playing field uh, and and sort of say, you know, ready, set, go. Uh, You know, California, one of the biggest retail markets in the country, if not the biggest, didn't go live with Marketplace Facilitator until October 1st. Uh, So just, you know, uh, just several months ago. Uh, So again, this is the, this is the, the venue that we're in now is, is uh, the laws are out there and we're going to see how they work. But what about Congress? I mean, couldn't Congress step in and and simplify things for online retailers? And is is there any conversation um, that might suggest that they would do that? (laughs) So that is a really good question. Um, Where, you know, where are the feds in all this? After the Supreme Court decided the case, uh, you had some prominent state officials. One of them was State Senator Curtis Bramble of Utah, who testified before Congress. And at that point, they said, listen, Congress, here's what we'd like for you to do now that we have this decision. Uh, It's what you've been doing for the last 25 years. Nothing. Uh, Let us sort this out. And so I think on the state's part, there's this idea that the ship has sort of sailed uh, and uh, there's no uh, realistic chance of of a congressional solution forthcoming. There are business, small businesses that are turning to Congress and asking for that. But I, I don't see that there's a lot of hope of anything happening in, in the next 12 to 24 months or even longer. What do you, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen at all. I mean, co- Congress, uh, the Small Business Subcommittee in the House, had a hearing on this very issue on, on March the 3rd. And there, there was supposed to be a hearing uh, in the Senate on, on the same idea, uh, but it was canceled due to uh, the, the COVID shutdown of the Capitol. But um, I just I don't see Congress having a, a ton of appetite for that. That was staff correspondents Mike Bologna in Illinois and Trip Baltz in Colorado talking about the ongoing fallout from the Supreme Court decision, South Dakota v. Wayfair. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website. That's news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard, get in touch with us on Twitter. You can follow us at tax. That's at T-A-X. Talking Tax is produced by myself, Amanda Icone, and David Schultz. Kathy Larson is our editor. That's it for this week's edition. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. Thanks for listening. Those nine justices in Washington, they can be pretty hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. On our podcast, 
cases and controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. So check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.